1: This segment is brought to you by Jigmaster Jigs. When in doubt, get the jig out. Go to Jigmasters.com and use promo code PNF20 and save 20% off your next jig order today.
2: Welcome to the Paddle and podcast, the Bass Fishing for Noobs segment, where we try to improve our skills as anglers by learning new techniques or improving the ones we already know. I'm your host, Ryan Milford.
0: Welcome back to the Paddle and Fin Podcast, the Bass Fishing for Noobs segment.
2: I'm Ryan, and we got Sean here today. Hey guys. And today we wanted to do a little episode about you know proper handling of fish for catch and release to ins- help ensure that they survive after you release them. So today we got Mr. Jason Broach on here. Welcome to the show.
1: Hey, how's it going? All right. <laughs>
2: Um, to start it off, why don't you, you know, tell who you are, what you do and all that good stuff.
1: All right. Um, Jason Broach from Bluffton, South Carolina. I work, the, work with the South Carolina Department of Natural Resources, um, marine scientist, expertise in aquaculture, pretty much fish farming, but as it relates to research, and figuring out ways to do it better. I've been fishing since 2007 in 2010. That's pretty much me in a nutshell. Born in South Carolina, school in Alabama, school in Florida, fishing all across the country.
3: So. Did you always know you wanted to do something fishing related as a job?
1: I mean, I, like every little country boy, I had that dream, but um, in high school, I was determined I was going to be a veterinarian and finish college and... I was not too sure about that and found a couple research positions working with fish aquaculture and went that route. Then I, I knew I was going to do something with fish after that, but yeah. so it was about it out.
3: cool, man. All right.
2: All right. So one thing that inspired this interview talking about the proper handling of fish fish and release or catch and release i i've wanted to do an episode like this for a little while but what really pushed it was i saw a picture posted on facebook of somebody having fish grips on a fish and they had it like kind of twisted to where the handle was underneath the fish and the part that clamps down was going all the way through uh the fish all the way around their lip bone i I guess that's a bone i'm not real sure on the uh, biology of a fish but um but yeah i I know that you're not that's not supposed to go all the way through so what what's your take on using fish grips in general
1: it's kinda of dictated on the, the fish and I guess their mouth and how well they should be able to handle it like bass. Pretty much never would use a fish grip. I might use something like a donkey leash if if but I would never hold a fish with the actual fish grips or any type of lifting device like that. Um leave it in the water on their fish grips. Never hold it like that at any angle out of the water. Um if it's you know, something like a bowfin, I might use fish grips. If it's saltwater fish, like a sea trout, I might use fish grips. But if it's something I can lip, I'll be using fish grips, or I won't be using fish grips. um And if generally, if I'm something I'm not going after, I'm not even taking it out of the water. But, yeah, largemouth bass, smallmouth bass, spotted bass. I mean, theoretically, you never really have to use fish grips once you. If you have enough experience holding them, catching them, been doing it since you were little, you know you don't need them.
4: So
2: what about if you want to weigh them? Like, uh, you know, some people use fish grips to uh, connect to their scale so they can weigh them. So you still shouldn't use them on them them for that, or is there a better way to do that?
1: The better way would be to have some type of cradle, something you could rest the fish long – Long ways. long ways in um, and it from that angle um, when you ho- start holding the fish like vertically like that the bigger it's ge- bigger it gets the more impact it's gonna have on the fish um, I mean it's not necessarily gonna kill the fish but it's gonna cause stress on that fish even if you release it it might swim away happy but there's damage to the organs inside of it damage to the jaw potentially Um, And it just potentially gets worse as the fish gets bigger. Small fish weighing them less than five pounds sure holding them vertically for getting them weighed on the scale that's fine but as they get bigger 10 pounds or more it'd be best to really support that fish a long ways somehow.
3: I always wondered too. The most of the the scales I have just have the hook on the bottom, and I've seen people just hook it kind of behind the gill plate. I imagine that's really bad, right?
1: Yeah, I, that and even poking it through just the the flesh below the jaw. I mean, never make a hole if you don't have to, but don't uh, don't get near the gills, especially. That's the primary organ that controls their whole life. Um. Best way to do it would be those type of vice or fish grip like devices to where you're not puncturing through there and doing it that way. Okay. Type of hook device. It's not necessarily going to kill the fish, but it's not going to make it happy, and it's something that fish might stress after you release it for a couple days or weeks or months, depending on how you handle it.
3: I figured the gills were important, but I mean, also the mouth is obviously important because if it can't eat, it's not going to do too well, right? So,
1: yeah. and as you know, a bass, they're you know, primarily in, inhaling full food. When I mean, you start putting holes in there and it changing the water pressure around, it's not going to feed as efficiently. So
3: that makes sense. Yeah, the way it sucks it in, I imagine that does make a big difference if you have a hole in your cheek.
1: Yeah. Try to suck and nothing nothing's moving towards your mouth and <laughs> they just keep swimming around trying to get it
2: so a while back i heard an interview on another podcast um, from another i believe he was like a marine biologist or something along those lines something smarter than i am and uh it was him and his wife actually and they both did the same thing and they were talking about you know taking the fish out of the water and how like the the air can hurt the fish i I believe they were talking mostly about trout but they said with pretty much any species you know just try to limit it to like 10 seconds of out of the water time and I, i i know trout is a lot more of a I guess say vulnerable type fish than a bass. But how, how would you relate that to, to a bass? Cause I know, you know, when we're doing kayak tournaments, we're putting, we're taking the fish out of the water. We're putting it on the board, getting it set up, taking our picture. It takes a lot more than 10 seconds to do that. Unless you're just a complete pro at it, I guess. And the fish is very cooperative. So that, that, that made me curious from that aspect. Like, well, how, how, How would you say that relates to bass?
1: I mean, so growing up, I did a lot of fishing and everything. But when I finally went to started my masters at Auburn, I learned a very important rule about fish, and that was we were working with crappie at the time, uh, doing some hormone induced spawning. And my advisor, the the professor, um, he was watching two of the first students that picked up a crappie out of the water. And he's watching them, you know, handle this fish, 20 seconds goes on, 30 seconds goes on. Then he says something that the whole class just is like, whoa. But he just said, don't forget fish live in water. And it was just like, yeah, that, that is true. And when it comes to like kayak fishing, angling, the whole CPR, I mean, that's something you have to remember. If that fish starts losing water, starts getting desiccated even on the skin, it starts affecting the slime coat. And that's this barrier against, you know, all those uh, different pathogens that are out there, bacteria infections and things like that. But also anytime the gills start drying out, they're not gonna function. Like a um, as long as the gills are wet, they can potentially transfer oxygen. But longer that fish is out of the water and more stars start more stuff starts drying out, that I mean you just start opening up areas, the potential to mess up proper gear gill function mess up the slime coat of the fish so in terms of an actual time that it would take to really have an effect on fish you know that's something they probably do know more about with trout because it's a highly aquaculture fish and uh, you know it's pretty sensitive not as hardy as a bass I've seen bass head out of the water for two minutes, and they seem to do swim off nice and fast. But I've also seen them hot summertime conditions head out of the water for 20 seconds after a long fight, and you know they just don't make it. But definitely keeping the fish wet, keeping the fish in the water as long as possible when you are in a CPR tournament, that's going to help prevent any type of you know injury to that fish down the road.
2: So you know they were saying in the in the interview i heard they were saying like it wasn't like bring it up for 10 seconds and then put it back in the water and then bring it back out 10 seconds it was 10 seconds total so would you agree with that or i i i wonder because you you say as long as you keep the gills wet and all that stuff
1: yeah as long as you you're keeping that that moisture on it Keeping it wet um, for bass, I don't think it's going to be as big as a problem. Part of that is the scales, type of scales, and just the sensitivity of the fish. Um, bigger scales on the fish, like a bass, they tend to handle it better. Smaller scaled species, like like freshwater trout and even saltwater sea trout, um, they don't do well because it, it can just dry out so fast. And as it starts drying out, they actually scales can start peeling off worse than they can on a a bigger scale of fish like bass.
3: Um, how about netting them? Like, if I know some people when they catch the fish, they'll put the net in the water, you know, just so it's still in the water, but in the net. Is that okay? Uh, or does that, it depends on the net? Or, yeah,
1: I mean, that, that's definitely better than having the fish out of the water for sure. Just remembering that, that concept fish live in water. Um, types of nets out there, rubber or rubberized nets are better plastic mesh type nets something that's not going to kind of slough off that slime coat of theirs Um, and that's something if you if you were to ever like spot a sea trout for example i mean you can see that the effects of different types of net quick on those fish um and that i'm all about rubberized nets now that's all all i use now for all species of fish but Fast, they can take a nylon net fairly well not mess up with slime coat but it all in all to take the stress off the fish a rubberized net is better and keeping that slime coat intact on the fish
2: I, I, I was gonna ask about that too because uh whenever i caught my personal best you know i just had a little cheap you know the i guess nylon you know it was like the rope string type stuff um and uh whenever i pulled it out it had like a couple little like cut marks on the tail i'm not sure if it already had that or if it caused it by the net but i i was like man i hope i didn't do that with that net like when it was trying to like get away while it was swimming in the net and, you know
1: if, uh, the nylon's net nylon nets do tend to do that more than a rubberized net kind of you'll start seeing the fins get split like that with the nylon nets um and it's something on fish that will heal but it it is a stress factor for
2: them yeah and i was gonna say i i'm all about you know uh, with with bass i'm all you know catch and release i've never kept a bass and so i you know i have very few bass that want to bite my lure anyways so you know I, I, the ones that do i want to keep them alive so hopefully they'll bite it again someday i
3: i think a rubber net's better for like when i use uh, any treble hook baits too than a nylon net just because it uh man i've had times with a nylon net where the treble just gets all wrapped in there and it's impossible to get out so just from a pure tackle standpoint i think rubber nets are nicer for that too but But definitely, I've heard they're better for the fish, too, so it's a double bonus.
1: Yeah, easier to clean, don't hold a smell as bad. Yeah, there's a couple of different benefits of them.
0: With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.
3: Um, I know uh, spe- when we're talking about holding fish, too, um, when people take their, their trophy shot, you know, they always I've heard that you should support the belly, you know, when you're uh, never hold a fish just by the jaw horizontally you know but you're saying even vertically is tough on the jaw but especially ver- or horizontally if you're going to hold them that way make sure you support their the belly with your other hand or somehow support them is that correct
1: yeah and the bigger the fish the more important that that becomes um and it there's you know a lot of emphasis on the jaw but also just in internal organs of the fish also I mean it is spinning its life in water so it's got the you know physics in play where you got the buoyancy for, force of water taking pressure off its inside as soon as you bring it out into the air gravity just does what it does and the bigger the fish the more pressure it gets on organs moving around hitting certain things that aren't normally moved around in inside of them so it's a jaw thing internal organs um, and as fish get bigger, it becomes more important to hold that fish horizontally, support as belly, make it horizontal as possible.
3: I figure that you know in the in the big bass boat tournaments, when they're you know their boats their fish aren't supposed to touch the floor. You know they get a penalty if they're they don't cleanly handle the fish. Like they wouldn't just boat fish or boat flip a fish or you know. So I, I know even. Even that potentially, you know, hurts the slime coat and stuff. And I'm sure smacking around on the deck of a boat, even a kayak, is not going to be great for them.
1: Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where, I mean, get get a hold of that fish either by lipping it or in the net, and just leave in the water until you need to. You have everything ready to do what you need to do. I mean, touch the skin as little as possible, and one thing I've stopped kind of doing is touching the, the tail region the caudal peduncle region because um, a lot of people reviving fish they usually grab a hold of that and kind of you know shake it back and forth um, but the tail is also an important part of their life if you get an infection back there and it starts eroding the caudal fin or the tail fin and it's not going to swim as well and that can hurt them down the road so i try not to touch the tail at all um you know, I lip it, throw it on the board, and take my picture. Re-lip it, support his belly, put him back in the water, and let him go.
2: Well, let's talk about what you just said uh, for a minute—the whole uh, reviving fish process. You know, I've, I've seen people do it, and they kind of—I've—I I, have seen them grab the tail. I've seen them hold them by the mouth and just kind of work them back and forth. Now, now I've. I've heard you know you want to do it um, like where they're facing against the current it, Is that true and if so why like what 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 exactly does that do to help that fish
1: yeah so th- the main thing to remember after you've caught that fish I mean it's it's used up a lot of oxygen to produce a lot of co2 so you put that fish in the water back in the water to release it it's important to like you know get it get it as much oxygen as much oxygen to that fish as possible so getting it against the current allowing the water to flow over the gills helps bring oxygen oxygenated water back to the fish and get rid of the co2 so you know bass it's it's kind of important even a bigger fish though something like a sailfish you're fishing offshore I mean there's I mean boats that hold those fish by the bills and you know go you know, a quarter a mile with that fish to help revive it just to get oxygen back throughout the whole body of the fish Um, so that that's the best way to do it kind of hold it by the the lip or whatever you know the front part of the fish and just kind of pull it into the current or get get water flowing over the gills with oxygen
2: to the fish
3: that makes sense i think it yeah i mean i've had fish before that you know after a long fight and you take them out and measure when you put them back in you know it's amazing how quickly that can wake them up you know they'll be able to just kind of lay in there and then you do that a few times and it totally like revives them i guess that oxygen replaces the co2 quick and they are just go right back to being alive or like bright and awake you know
1: yeah i mean it's no different than us holding our breath for a certain amount of time as trying to do it as long as possible and then just when we get that oxygen back it's it's the same thing for fish
2: so how effective is that for getting oxygen back in their system compared to like just letting them go and letting them swim off on their own? I
1: mean, it, it, it depends on the condition of the the fish. Um, uh, I mean, the DNR here has done stodied, have done studies with red red drum and just catching fish, big you know thirty to fifty pound brood fish, and just letting them go back into the water and they've actually had different um, uh, tracking devices on them and they'll follow the fish they'll let it go and it just sink straight to the bottom and it's like mm. oh man this fish is gonna die but within about one two minutes the fish ups right and starts kind of swimming up and down in the water column and eventually gets on track and swims away um, so eventually like a hardy hardy species like a bass you could just let it go and more than likely it's going to come back if it wasn't handled for too long and other stressful events during the whole capture um, but if you know it's hot summertime conditions that you know it took a while to get that fish in it, it's best to revive it. Um, it, it it can help reduce the impacts of you know losing that oxygen during the fight.
3: I know I've definitely had trout before, where even just getting them out of the water enough to get the hook out and put them back in, I, I think they're like just stressed enough that they they don't even swim away. They just kind of sit there, and they're he's, I mean I could see him you know just his tail was moving in the current, but he was just like I don't know what it's just like in shock or something because I could have reached right back down and picked him up again, um, but I, I guess they're a little more like you said a fragile species.
1: Yeah, and like most, pretty much the only species that can't pump water across its, across its gills effectively would be sharks. So, if you watch the uh, gills of, you know, bass and other freshwater fish we go out through, I mean, they're able to pump water over the gills, so you could let that fish go, and it, it's going to be lethargic, but long as you see those those gill operculums moving and water being pumped over, it, eventually it should be able to, you know, revive its own self. But the quicker we can make that happen pulling the fish through the water getting more water over its gills, more oxygen it, it can reduce the the stress from the, the fight
3: so a shark can't do that I never heard that before
1: yeah I mean that's that's why they constantly swim other than there are certain groups of sharks that can do it um, the nurse sharks ones that primarily sit on the bottom but a lot okay. of sharks have to constantly swim to get the water of the gills
3: okay so does a shark sleep?
1: Uh, I don't think any fish really, really sleep. Okay, really.
2: <laughs> I, I, I never knew that. Hey. So
3: that makes sense, I guess.
2: So bass don't sleep.
1: Nah, they'll eat at two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah.
2: That's that just like blew my mind right there. <laughs>
1: They definitely spend a lot of time not eating, especially like during a tournament when you need them. But.
2: <laughs> oh, or any time I'm on the water.
3: <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> uh. yeah. So, so Sean, you had a couple things you were wanting to ask. Yeah. I-
3: um, just some things that I had heard, um, like I had heard the term thermocline and I always, I, I knew it somewhere, somewhere related to a level of in the water where fish either couldn't be above it at a certain time or below it. I couldn't, I wasn't sure. So I wondered if you could, you know, clear that up at all, or, uh, you know, tell us what a thermocline is and then how fish relate to it or if it changes.
1: Yeah. So thermocline is just, you know, a layer in the water where you can see temperature differences. Um, caused by stratification, like hot summertime events where you're not getting a lot of wind during the day, you can get hot water on top, cool water on bottom, vice versa in the wintertime. And fish all all have their optimal temperature where they like to be, so certain times of the year when they're seeking that cold water refuge, like in the summertime, they might be below it. Uh, Wintertime, that might be above it. But also important part of the thermocline is Dictating where the bait is, and um, bass always going to be near the baits. And certain forage species, they they relate to it differently. Some like being right in the middle of the thermocline, just because it's more um, diverse in the zooplankton. They might have kind of just media, moving back and forth between the two two different layers. Um, but it can it definitely dictates where fish are a certain times of the year, even even throughout the day.
3: Okay. And the, is, it, is it that they can't survive above or below it, or they just prefer not to be above or below it? Uh,
1: it, it depends on how extreme it is. Um, usually, usually it's a preference, but certain times of the year, and certain species, if it were you know, a spot of sea trout, for example, that can't, they really don't do well in 10 degrees Celsius water, or lower than that. Um, they got to have that warm water. They, they're they definitely not going to leave it in other Certain species like that are cold tolerant, cold intolerant or hot intolerant.
3: And I guess I think I remember reading that sometimes when you hear about those massive fish kills, it has to do with that thermocline changing quicker than the fish can move or, you know, that kind of thing.
1: Yes, yeah, so some of those, the thermocline and then the fall turnover, just nutrients, excess nutrients getting in the water and taking out the oxygen.
3: Yeah. Okay, okay.
2: So is... Is that what caused like I've heard of like people with personal ponds, you know, have them turn over. Is that what causes that?
1: Yeah, just the differences in the, the temperature and it just kind of uplifts stuff off the bottom. Um, kind of like El Nino years where warm water just it brings stuff with it whenever it rises. So yeah, that, that, that's what's happening there. The nutrients get in the water Nutrients with that comes bacteria consuming the nutrients and taking up the oxygen, and producing CO two. Yeah.
2: All right. So just to rewind a little bit, you were talking about you know fish staying kind of with the bait. Now, if the bait is kind of in like an uncomfortable temperature, like not where the bass particularly want to be, will they still follow them to that area as long as it's like you know manageable you know i know you said you know it can be deadly in certain situations but
1: yeah i mean that at, at first um, the first priority is for them to live so if it's if it's something to where you know they got to stay at that layer to survive they're not gonna you know food's the last thing gonna mind. and if it was something like a cold intolerant species trying to be in warm water it's not going to go into quarter water where it's going to have a lower metabolism and not want to feed anyway as as much so um yeah the first thing is you know just to survive and you know it might be tons of bait up 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 top but they might need to be below just to be in the optimal range for them
3: that's interesting i think i just heard that last week that fish's first instinct is to survive and secondary is to eat so the survival always comes first for the most part you know i've all seen we've all seen fish do dumb things and trying to eat but uh yeah that definitely makes sense well that's
2: just interesting to me because you hear a lot of people talking about you know if you can find the find like the bait fish then bass are nearby but you know based on what you're saying maybe not necessarily based on that they they could be staying like maybe deeper in the water column because of that uh that difference
1: yeah i mean i've 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 been on been on the water in, in tournaments and situations like that where tons of bait you'll even see big fish below them but it's like cold wintertime conditions and they're they're just they're not going to move up there to feed on them unless it warms up and yeah it, it happens
2: so i'm guessing that that's mainly going to be in the times of the year where you have the extreme conditions like winter time with extreme cold or summertime with extreme heat
1: yeah that that's the time that really the thermocline and just fast behavior kind of not being it, it's kind of difficult to predict because those two types of conditions they usually go to deeper water and the more water, the harder it is to catch them in general, and just their behavior changes because they got a lot more water to operate with, and they can be where exactly where they
3: want to. Do you have any strategies for catching them in those situations, or what What are you, what are you usually trying to do, uh, or you just don't fish during those times?
1: <laughs> yeah, wintertime, that's one of those things I, I don't do too much. I'd rather drive down to Florida and, you know, at least...
2: Well, you stuff. ain't too far, are you? Do what? You ain't too far from Florida, are you?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm about five five hours from the honey hole down there. So it's
2: so, not kind of far, but not like crazy far. Yeah, like,
1: three hours to the border, but five hours to the honey hole I was stuck with for a couple of years. And,
2: and where exactly is the honey hole? <laughs> it, 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 it's no
1: secret anymore. It, it's, it's Felsmere, Florida. Everyone knows it now yeah it's a fun place
3: i think if i lived five hours from florida i'd be there a lot
1: <laughs> yeah when i first started just just position in south carolina i told myself like i'm gonna be down there like every other weekend though it's it's okay but i haven't been down there in a while and yeah it, it's been on fire in that lake. and oh, just that yeah
2: what are you selling? So- so- Probably like 14,
3: 15 hours. <laughs> yeah, it, I know it takes us eight hours to get to North Carolina, so I can't imagine it's it's probably at least 16, I would guess. I don't know.
1: It, it, it's worth it,
3: yeah. <laughs> uh, that's not exactly a quick trip for me, but uh, <laughs> but South Carolina isn't too bad, is it? I mean, I don't know, uh, temperature-wise. How cold mm. do you get?
1: I mean, it, it didn't snow last year, but... I mean, 30s, yeah, okay. that's a cold year.
3: Yeah. Okay. So I so, guess, yeah, that will slow them down a good bit. But.
1: Yeah. yeah. Like, I can't fish comfortable whenever I'm cold. If I start adding layers and I can't feel my fingers, I, I don't fish as efficiently <laughs> as I need to. So uh, I can just avoid that. and Yeah. I've, yeah.
2: I'll put you there. I've, I've, I've continually fished throughout the winter this past year, but... I didn't continuously kayak fish because I had to put on more layers and stuff. So my dad's got a boat. So I'd go out on the boat with him. I think like January and February and you know, that way i can wear my layers. I, it'd be rough trying to paddle in like coveralls and all that. <laughs>
1: yeah. You just feel, feel bulky and like half the time you miss a fish because you really didn't feel it because you couldn't feel your fingers. And yeah, I,
2: i don't like it so let me ask you this real quick you know since since you are pretty smart and like fish behavior and all that there's kind of been some talk about warm weather and cold weather and all that Uh, do all bass pretty much tend to like the same temperatures or are regions a big play in that like like, we're, we talked about, we uh, we got our buddy, Josh Smith, from the Dark Waters uh, Kayak Fishing Podcast. He lives up in New York City. So, we're, we're doing a bracket-style tournament here at Paddle and Finn and I had to fish against him, and we were talking about, you know, with it being a little cooler, uh, you know, he had cold weather c- conditions. I had cold weather conditions for me here in Tennessee, but... N- you know, it's like summer conditions for him. <laughs> so I my theory is, you know, his bass are more used to the cold. So they they should bite a little easier in cold. My bass here in Tennessee around the Nashville area, you know, they're they're used to a little bit warmer, warmer air temp, water temp. So whenever it gets a little bit chill, what they would consider kind of warm water would be kind of cold for us and that would kind of shut them down does that make sense what i'm trying to say yeah
1: Yeah, it and it's you know a strain difference in bass like the southern strain florida strain they do better in warmer water than like cold water versus a normal strain largemouth um yeah you can look at it you know regionally a Florida fish versus South Carolina fish versus, you know, Virginia versus New York. Those fish are they're definitely more adapted being in cold water and that being not really I'm going to say a natural, but dealing with overall cold, cooler temperatures. Cooler temperatures they're better uh, adapt to versus like a a southern fish. You expose it to thirty degree water for too long, or well, I guess it's going to be frozen at thirty cause <laughs> it goes at a 40 to 50 degree water for too long it's it it's going to be lethargic and it's not going to be itself versus a, a fish in New York it's going to be like yeah you know this is what I deal with um but in terms of like sudden su- sudden changes is it, it probably affects really affects them equally and to the extent that it's going to irritate them and make them harder to bite just because they're more worried about Relieving that
3: pressure helps the swim bladder. And we, I was just, that was another one of my questions. Is was how does pressure affect the fish? And I, I'd heard that it it plays a big role with their swim bladder. You know, so um, under high pressure or like good weather or higher pressure, it uh, it's not as much pressure on their swim bladder, so they can they're more comfortable. Whereas low pressure puts a lot of pressure on their swim bladder. Is that kind of how it goes or is it backwards from that
1: Uh, it's just matter of how they regulate it and are able to inflate it like it's it's difficult in those you know high pressure pressure it's it's difficult in those lower pressure conditions um difficult to inflate it and kind of deflate it on command so to kind of deal with that, that change they just go somewhere where there's less need to do it and and usually that's somewhere in the middle of the water column just kind of finding that equilibrium spot
3: so what the swim bladder normally functions just to keep them at a certain level or 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 depth and then uh, when it's working good they don't have to expend a lot of energy to to stay there but when when it's not working good due to pressure they have to they they have trouble staying in one spot or
1: yeah or that, the, that's pretty much it like normal conditions if they want to be towards the bottom they can deflate it and sink or they can inflate it and kind of rise up if they need to you start putting the pressure changes on it where it's kind of like oh it's harder to go down or it's harder to come up it's they could just they kind of meet in the middle i guess
3: makes sense and then because they're having to you know Fight that, then that's why they aren't really in the mood to eat because they're more just not comfortable and having to work to stay where they want to be. Yeah. yeah. All right. Now I don't so, feel so bad when I can't catch fish when the pressure's dry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: I'm not a fan of suspended fish. So.
3: They're, they're definitely to tough to catch. And uh, man, whenever I go out and see them on my finder and they're right in the middle, I'm like, oh. Here we go. So I don't know if I've ever even caught a suspended
2: fish. You know, I, I the only technique I can really come to mind with with a suspended fish is like a crankbait or you know, maybe a swim bait rigged for uh, for that, but yeah, crank crankbaits I have no luck with. I'm a terrible crankbait fisherman, so <laughs>
3: Those fish ain't for me either. <laughs> I've heard of like jerk baits, suspending jerk baits. If you can drop them down and have them suspend in front of them enough, then and potentially a drop shot, depending where they're suspending, if you can get your leader length right. Um, there's so it, to that. but uh, but again, I don't have any luck doing it either, so <laughs> yeah,
1: I've got okay. all those things, and yeah, it's there's, there's something else involved, and I haven't figured that out, yeah.
3: But I definitely don't think uh, the three of us are the only ones who struggle with that because uh, I've heard that regular time, many many times that suspending fish are the hardest to Yeah, so.
2: I've heard that from high level anglers as well. So I I
3: don't think that they're a fan favorite at all. <laughs> um. One of my other questions was why you always hear that it's best or it's good to fish around the full moon, like the the two days leading up to the two or three days leading up to the full moon and two or three days after. And uh, I know. uh, So I figured I'd ask you about that, too, if you know why that happened, why that's better.
1: Part of that is it just opens up a, a bigger feeding window for the fish. They can feed throughout the night and they just get more active all in all just knowing that moon's coming especially if it's certain times of the year like when spawning temperatures are approaching they just in general get more active because everything in their body's is going right and they know they need to you know stock up on food to get you know that energy to you know those babies those eggs and all that
3: so is that a visual thing or is that they just know I don't know based on how long it's been since the last one that it's coming again, or you know, like it's, if it's cloudy, are they going to know that it's a full moon? Yeah, they'll
1: they, they still feel it for sure. It's you know that gravity's changing a little bit, and we might not necessarily feel it, but you know they feel it. all wild animals are keyed in on it. They, they know full moon certain time of year when the photo periods are changing, temperatures are changing uh, that just changes their behavior
3: interesting
2: huh. so is it true you know i've heard people talk about the full moon and like <clears throat> three days before and three days after something like that you know the crawfish hatch so throw like a crawl Im- imitation is that true or is that just kind of like a folktale or i mean
1: specifically for crawfish i'm not sure of but like certain types of insects i mean they would definitely might hatch on different different moon phase um, other fish species spawn on different moons and you know predators know that so um, it, it predator fish bass and key on key in on the moon even if it's not directly related to you know bass themselves it might be related to a food or predator and things like that
3: Um, One question, when we were talking about spawn and and Ryan was asking about the difference between a New York fish and a a Florida fish, uh, it made me wonder, like, so, you know, I I know you hear certain temperatures uh, for spawn, is that going to be different by the strain, like whether it's a Florida fish or a, a New York fish, like you always hear 55, 60 degrees, you know, when it started hitting those water temperatures, you know, it's coming. Is that generally the truth for most strains or... It depends.
1: As as far as I know, I mean, there could be like a, a lower temperature for like the northern strains, and the warmer fish kind of, you know, it's a little bit higher. Um, but in general, you know, that 60 degree mark, fish start getting active, start making beds. That, I think that's true, no matter where you really go.
3: So 60 degrees is really the the kind of key temperature you want to look for.
1: 60 degrees time in March that's that's what I start looking for around here.
3: Okay. Yeah, we don't see 60 until we just started seeing it here in Pennsylvania so um, and give or take a couple of cold nights and it goes right back down below it again. So how does that work like so will that shut it off until it warms back up again or once they start then they kind of keep going.
1: I mean, they'll, they will they, they stay active because ultimately it's, it's not just the, the temperature saying, hey, it's time to spawn. It's, it's photo period because that's, you know, temperature is dynamic. It might be high or low one day versus the photo period. It's, I mean, it, it's set, like we're getting longer and longer days, longer light, and the fish know that. So that kind of, you know, it might drop in temperature, but that photo period told them, hey, i'm going to be spawning soon so i'm just going to stay in this general area i might not go guard the nest like i i should 24 7 but they're going to stick around stay somewhat shallow even if the temperature drops like that
3: okay that makes sense i was just going to ask what photo period was but you're just saying when the days get longer and that makes sense okay
1: yeah yeah photo and spawning for all fish it's photo is kind of that number one thing that really sets the mood, sets their, you know, gonads to where it needs to be, but, but then temperature is kind of that last little thing to say, hey, it, it's time, the the zooplankton's here, the food's going to be here for the babies, we need to do something.
3: And then after the spawn, when uh, it sh- they kind of shut down for a little bit, is that just recovery or from all the energy it took for, you know, the whole spawn period? Is that kind of why they're sometimes harder to catch them?
1: Yeah, it's, I mean, they they go in that, that feeding mode after, once they're done, um, but it, it, it is, you know, spawning stressor on them. There, there's going to be some, some lag, okay. if they were kind of beat up on or in a stressful event. They, they decided to nest under, like, an eagle uh, eagle eagle nesting in a tree or something like that, and or, you know, FLW tournament was there, and they were just plucking them off, trying to pluck them off.
3: what's your thought on that on bed fishing is that uh harmful or okay as long as you put them right back or good question
1: i mean it it really comes down to the fishery some fisheries do well even you know high high bed fishing pressure somewhere like gunnersville it it seems to do well even when they hold tournaments during bedding season Cooper cooper's one of them that does well and it's kind of a kind of fisheries specific in just how much pressure they get. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it is stressful taking a fish off the bed, hauling it back to the way in sight, and just releasing it back. If it's a female, I mean, it's more likely that fish might not spawn. Those eggs are regressed, and just that fish has to wait till next year. You take the male away from the nest, of course. You know, predators come in there, get eggs if they're there. Um, it, it, it It's stressful. To really determine if it's detrimental to the specific fishery, it just kind of varies depending on the body of the water.
3: I had seen some videos uh, about taking the males away and how quickly the predators move in. It, it was kind of amazing, you know. They're saying, you know, matter of even minutes to even, you know, under a minute, the predators will move in if once they know that uh, male is gone. It's crazy. Yeah,
1: it it doesn't take long, and it. Yeah, you know, thinking about it, it's gonna be interesting to see what happens with like different fisheries and how well they do next year and years to come because with this whole pandemic shutdown and less people in the water and in, in some states, it's those those fish might have kind of a a relief and, you know, they might have a booming, you know, two and three or second, and third year class fish down the road and it it'd be interesting to see how the, the fish handle that.
2: Well I'll have the opposite of that here because ever since everything's kind of shut down uh, the boat ramp that I've went been going to more regularly you get there you cannot find a parking spot like you got to park in the grass somewhere. <laughs> it, it's been crazy how many people were out there fishing. yeah
1: it, we had a we had a, a one month shutdown where no public ramps were available but of course kayak or you can throw off
2: road off the side of the road so yeah see we we haven't shut down fishing at all uh it when i said (laughs) shut down i'm talking about like businesses we we did shut down you know non-essential businesses so uh you know a lot of people were off work and and So they're going fishing because they never shut down any ramps or anything. I I think there were a couple ramps around dams that were shut down. I'm not sure the reason of that, but for the most part, everything was still open fishing-wise.
1: Yeah. Wish that was the case here, but um, (laughs) we'll see how the fish do.
3: I think they'll do a lot better next year down the road. It's interesting. Um, Last year, I live uh, about a half... 15 minutes from the Susquehanna which is supposedly world-class smallmouth fishing and you know there's definitely been times when it was like that but last year for whatever reason smallmouth at least in my area were really really hard to find and um, I was I've read a few articles about it and one of the things they were saying is that right during the spawn last year we had a uh, very high water flow like a couple of heavy rains, you know, and a period of a lot, much higher, faster flow. And they're saying that that might've really messed up the spawn for that year, you know? Um, and I, I, I believe something happened because it just, it was really tough last year. uh, Right. My area for smallmouth. Um, I mean, I, I think I, now not that I'm a super smallmouth fisherman, but, um, I was out, I want to say 20, 30 hours, uh, right on the prime season and i caught two fish so i i could catch catfish all day long if i wanted to but smallmouth i just couldn't find so
1: yeah they i'm i'm pretty sure there's some science, scientific papers out there they looked at that kind of similar scenario for a new river fish um, virginia west virginia and at certain times of year certain certain high flood events high water events pushes them back poor year classes of fish
3: yeah and we just had another yeah, two weeks of high water here so i'm hoping that it didn't screw it up again for this year but you know hopefully uh it wasn't it wasn't as bad as it was last year this time so hopefully it's it'll be okay <laughs> yeah
1: a couple good years it a rebound
4: yeah and that's, that's, that's
1: one place I've, I've been wanting to fish is the Susquehanna. i haven't done that one yet so
3: I've heard there's still places just I just have to drive to them that that are still fine. Um, I just haven't done it yet, so um, I gotta get some people to show me show me where to go. But uh, but yeah, but but I've already caught more than I caught all of last year in the first you know two months that I've been out on the river this year. So I, I think hopefully this year will be a better year for sure. So
2: nice. Oh, you're gonna kill it. You're gonna be like me last year. Once I got on the podcast, I, like, doubled how many bass I had caught in the past five years total.
3: Well, I mean, already this year, I, I've caught I probably close to as many as, well, I wouldn't say as last year. But it, it's definitely, I my number is higher this year already So than I was at this point last year. So
2: Right on. So, yeah, I'm out of questions for Jason. You got anything else?
3: I think that's all I could think of, um, but, yeah. I appreciate uh, you coming on man
1: yeah no problem and yeah. for anyone out there listening i would say you know catch photo release the main thing to remember is fish live in water try to keep them in the water as long as possible be prepared whenever you're ready to take that photo whether it's uh, you know just a, a selfie shot you a big fish or you know actual tournament photo you know, have that identifier out have your camera ready have the board ready get the fish out of the water on the board take the picture back in the water and
3: yeah, I boss. know uh, one, one thing I was going to ask you um, I know with trout fishing they uh, I've heard a couple of people say always wet your hands before you touch the fish is that as big a deal with, with bass or is that uh, it, it, it's
1: it's not but I always try to do it anyway it's kind of a general practice cause, like fishing I just usually go after a lot of different things and it's kind of a habit just to always wet my hands it'll it, help but not necessarily like Going to be super detrimental if you forget for whatever reason, but it, it's definitely helpful. Wet your hands, wet the board, anything that fish's body is going to touch. If it's wet, you know, it's better. Preserve the slime coat Yeah.
2: Okay. And to go off what you were saying before Sean asked that question, um, you know, setting up the board getting your phone ready with the camera on and everything not only is that going to be better for the fish with it being out of the water for less time but that's going to make it easier for you to get that photo and what with with less chance of that fish like jumping off you know the longer it's out of the water on the board the more chance you got of it trying to jump off flop off so it benefits you and the fish to do that so yeah be smart about it
3: guys and practice it. yeah yeah it's definitely even if you're out fun fishing sometimes it's good just to practice the cpr thing putting it on the board getting a quick picture just so you it, it's going to speed up the time when you actually do have to do it um, the more you do it the faster you're going to get at it yeah so
2: was there anything we didn't ask about or we didn't cover that you feel like we should touch on before we close this off as far as like hey i know we started off with you know uh with like i guess healthy procedures for handling fish and we kind of got into fish behavior but as far as like handling fish was there anything that we didn't cover that you feel like we should touch on
1: no i mean i think like just kind of a general 101 you know that's pretty good pretty good synopsis of it
2: all right well appreciate you coming on here and talking to us about this i, I know this is this is a it, it's something that's talked about but it's not if you know what i mean like you
1: know it i mean I, i've seen a lot of photos where i just kind of go
2: uh, kind of cringe kind of kind of like i did at that fish grip photo and 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 you know i was kind of upset about about that photo when i saw it but then it's like Okay. Maybe it's just, you know, misinformation or like don't have that education to know that that's hurting the fish. And, and and that's what this segment of the podcast is all about. is education. And, you know, it's mainly about, you know, trying to figure out how to catch the fish, but we, we got to maintain the fish too. If, if we expect to continue to catch them. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Everything. I mean, we're, Pretty much everyone's a resource manager in the way they handle fish and you know harvest and whatnot, and we take care of it. It's going to always be there. So, yeah.
2: I don't know. Well, do you want to? Uh, you got any like social media or sponsors you want to shout out real quick? Um, I, I can be
1: followed on a Jay bro kayak Fishing Instagram um, webpage, Jason Bridge Fishing Facebook page j bro or jason Broach fishing i think also um, sponsors there's a pretty pretty good list but um been with hobie a while Ram mounts uh CDEC, yeah lawrence ego fishing nets you know talking about the nets the rubberized nets they make a lot of different ones for kayak anglers and they're awesome um, a lot of different other companies um pure fishing uh, cal coast fishing violina power uh, catch usa um and a couple others. Not can't remember off the top of my head. They're, they're, <laughs> if, That's
3: a pretty good list.
1: <laughs> but if um, you know, I use their products, there's a reason for it. It's not just for show. It it helps me be a better angler for you know, all the sponsors I do have. So awesome, right, man. Man. But yeah, thank you. Thank you guys for having me on and I hope hope what I said helped a little bit and helps people out.
0: Yeah. Definitely
3: some good information for sure. Like, some a lot of things I didn't know, like <laughs> fish sleeping. Who knew?
0: Yeah.
3: <laughs> or off. not sleeping.
2: I, I don't think I'd ever really thought about it, to be honest. So, yeah, yeah, so.
3: all right, all right, guys. Well, uh, once again, thanks for tuning into the Paddle and Fin um network, specifically the Bass Fish for Noob segment. Um, as always, we're here to bring you the techniques, the tricks, and the tips to help you rip some more lips. Thanks, guys, and have a good evening.
4: Later. Thanks for tuning in to another killer episode on Paddle and fin. Don't forget to go check out our website at Paddle, the letter N, and Finn.com. Don't forget to check out the YouTube channel at Paddle and Finn. If you got a question, comment, want to hear from a future guest on a future episode, feel free to email us at paddle, the letter N, and fin at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Paddle and Finn on Facebook and Instagram. Shout out to our show supporters, Angler. The Angler button and app just makes for a better time on the water and creates a virtual logbook for every fishing outing out on the water. Shout out to Rocktown Adventures, located in Northern Illinois, for all your kayaking, camping, and hiking needs. TRC Covers, protect your investment. Catch Products, shout out to Catch Products. Go to catchproducts.com and put the Paddle and Fin logo directly on your catch board. Shout out to Jigmasters Jigs. When in doubt, get the jig out. Go to jigmasters.com, use promo code PNF20, save 20% on all your jig and tackle needs.